Hi, I'm Bill Buckingham. I'm Chris McClintic. And I'm James Zog. Well, guys, this is really exciting. We're going to be hosting a podcast called Outside the Glass. It's going to be available every month on ussquash.com. It's also going to be available on iTunes and at SoundCloud. Guys, we have a huge squash season ahead of us. The Pro Tours are heating up. We have the U.S. Open Championships coming up in October, and then the inaugural PSA World Championships in the U.S. and Seattle in November. So Outside the Glass is going to be a really cool radio show. We're going to, uh, Bill, Chris, and I are going to uh, help host. We're going to have some other hosts as well. And we're going to, we're going to really get behind the scenes uh, with the most interesting people in the U.S. and around the world. Find out, you know, interesting stories, uh, what, what people are passionate about, why, why they love squash, and, and, and how, they, um, how they got involved in the game. We would love to hear your stories, your interests, and, and topics you would like to hear us discuss. Uh, so reach out to us at any point with podcast at usquash.com and as chris uh, as you mentioned earlier we got a, we got a really really great season ahead of us just so many events to uh, talk about so many people that uh you know we're going to bring uh, to our u.s squash audience this past summer our u.s national teams competed in the pan am games uh, up in canada and our u.s junior women's world teams competed in the netherlands we talked to national team director rich wade right after both of those events ended um that's this and you guys could listen to this as our uh, inaugural podcast going forward you're going to hear stories from the U.S. Open. You're going to hear people being interviewed from events around the world and events throughout the squash season. But uh, right now on uh, both iTunes, SoundCloud, and on USSquash.com, uh, listen to our discussion with Rich Wade talking about the Pan Ams and the U.S. national team. We'll see you outside the glass. Hello and welcome to Outside the Glass. My name is Bill Buckingham. Chris McClintic. We plan on doing this on a regular basis with a uh, rotating cast of hosts and guests. We hope you enjoy uh, this first edition. Uh, recently, Chris, there's been a lot of U.S. national team activity uh, with the Pan Am Games just completed a couple weeks ago at the end of July. And just this afternoon, uh, the U.S. Uh, junior women's team uh, finished their successful run at the uh, Junior Worlds in Holland. So, you know, the Pan Am Games was a historic success with uh, six medals. Amanda Sobey leading the way with uh, a gold in individual and uh, also a team gold medal. And then a, a gold medal uh, teaming up with Natalie Granger in doubles. And the men took home a team bronze uh, and also a, um, a bronze in the, in the men's doubles. Uh, and again, the women's uh, junior world team for the third straight time uh, taking home uh, second place in the world's a great achievement. For both of those events uh, is our uh, colleague uh, and the uh, the director of our U.S. national teams, and that's Rich Wade, and we have Rich on the phone. Uh, how you doing, Rich? Yeah, great. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure to be on. Um, you have been anywhere but in the United States for the past month and a half or so. Um, you know, starting with uh, headed up to the uh, to the Pan Ams in Toronto. So let's start there. I mean, uh, we all follow. You know, saw the results. We followed it on television. But you were uh, on the ground behind the scenes. So uh, you know, fill in fill in a little bit of for us from starting with uh, the opening ceremonies. Uh, the Pan Am Games are. Um, a huge event. It's not just squash, uh, all sports, uh, all the different countries from uh, North America, Central America, South America. So fill us in. Uh, wh what was it like to be part of that kind of event and talk about the opening ceremonies a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, for us, myself behind the scenes, but, uh, you know, knowing that we had spent the last four years uh, since the previous Pan American Games trying to uh, prepare ourselves for 
for Toronto. Um, it, it was great just to get on the ground. Uh, we prepared well. We, we arrived five days in advance, um, which, you know, looking back may have been too soon. Uh, but you know what? We, we acclimatized really well and were able to prepare for what was ahead, even though we might not have been quite sure exactly what was uh what was waiting for us as we uh, arrived into the Rogers Centre where the Blue Jays play the baseball stadium. And, uh, you know, more than anything, it was an opportunity for us to to be on the other side of the ropes, so to speak. You know, um, instead of being one of the 60,000 looking at the athletes, we, we were one of the athletes. And uh, for a sport like ours, um, it, it was a really incredible feeling and one that you know everyone will will cherish some of the older members of the team had spoken about guadalajara or um or the trip to brazil eight years ago um but you know th this was a new experience for everyone um and and definitely something that we'll cherish for a long time and, and hopefully we can use to inspire the next group of of athletes that will come through and especially those ones that were in eindhoven just this last week so the opening ceremonies happen on Friday, and then that Saturday is when the squash competition kicked off. And early on, one of the big highlights for the squash event was Thomas Bach, the IOC president and probably the man solely responsible for breathing new life into squash's Olympic bid, shows up to the squash court. Maybe the first time he's ever seen a glass squash court in action. How much buzz was created just by his appearance there for a few minutes? Yeah, no, it, it was strange because, you know, we're all sat in the opening ceremony. We see him with all the other delegates, um, you know, in, in the bright lights, in the, in the nice seats. And we're there thinking, I wonder if he makes an appearance. And, you know, lo and behold, 12 hours later, the first round of matches um, at the exhibition centre. And there he is. And it, it, we sort of all got taken aback, um, but a very special feeling. Thankfully for us, he came when uh, Team Canada were playing and, and Sam Cornette was playing. So there was definitely a strong home crowd. You know, so we presented ourselves in a very good light, thankfully. Um, so you know, from that standpoint, it was great. Uh, and then there was just a buzz around the whole facility, people taking selfies with him. You know, hopefully a, a good media opportunity um, for us and then for him to, to see squash in all its glory. Um, in uh, you know a very competitive but also fun and, and sportsman-like arena. So you know, hopefully, we presented ourselves in our best light, and um, he can he can go away with the dignitaries, and and hopefully, we we get a positive result this time next year after Rio. So uh, back back to the opening ceremonies and marching into the Rogers Center. So are the opening ceremonies? So you march in. Uh, all the countries march in. There's some speaking. There's some entertainment. I mean, is it a big party? Are people like mingling? Like, what's the atmosphere on the ground there? Are you supposed to stay in your one spot? Are you able to say, "Hey, there's an athlete I recognize from, uh, you know, from Colombia. I want to go talk to him." What's the what's the protocol there, and what's the what's the scene like right on the field? Sure, it, it, it's strange because we're we're as I said, we're on the other side. So from. Um, the opening ceremony started at 8 p.m., but we started our lineup from 5 o'clock in the Athlete Village. So, you know, you definitely get a sense pretty early on that you're going to be a part of a well-regimented ordeal. Um, and Team USA being, you know, approximately 600 athletes deep, 
um, was, was somewhat hard to organize. We were boarded onto 14 um, big buses and arrived in the back entrance of the Rogers Center, which of course makes you feel special because you're uh, the, the tradesman entrance, so to speak. Um, and then as, as we arrived, we just had people meet us and we were all lined up, you know, by country. And, and given the, the Spanish alphabet, we were not you, we were Estados Unidos, so we were E and, and closely following El Salvador. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, we, we didn't have all that long to wait. Um, but, you know, once 7.30 hit and we got the, the go time, off we went. We're thinking we were two minutes from being in the in the field well that that was false we we had a long wait as everyone slowly marched their way down and and thankfully we uh there was tvs along the way so we got to see miguel uh take the flag for colombia miguel rodriguez and uh, which is pretty special we saw a bunch of other squash players on the tvs we had gilly lane one of our coaches trying to get pictures with every superstar athlete that he could find in team usa which was uh which was always fun to follow Wes Gilly now type thing. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us about, but, speaking of that, tell us about some of the athletes while you're waiting there and you're looking around. Uh, who are some of the athletes that you're seeing, uh, be it from the United States or other countries, that you say, hey, I know that person. Hey, I, I recognize that person. They're an Olympic gold medalist. Sure. To, I think probably the most decorated athletes were the swimmers that were there. Um, the name sort of, I lose the names off the top of my head, but uh, definitely two or three Olympic gold medalists, also a female judo um, athlete who we did not get on the wrong side of, thankfully. Uh, we, we definitely held the door open for her. Um, what was interesting was some baseball uh, players, all uh, AAA or AA, always had a good story to tell about a major league team that they were a part of. And You know, Gilly, definitely not afraid to uh, to search for some more information. He definitely knew someone that knew someone that knew someone, um, and, and he was searching. I think Gilly probably got his picture. The the Yukon uh, point guard was his uh, his favorite selfie. <laughs> Male or female? Female. Yeah, he she really made him look short. <laughs> was there any talk? Of, so there's Olympic gold medals there. Was there any kind of discussion or talk or just chit chat about? Hey, you know this is great, but you should see the Olympics. Or was was it more just an event among self and you took it in? Or were the Olympians like, if you guys were in the Olympics, you'd see a real scene? You know what? There wasn't too much of that. I I. I'd imagine because some of it was qualifying for the Olympics for a lot of these events or for a world championship. So, you know, as much as this was a pre-run for an Olympics in Rio, for example, you know, to them it was still a major games, um, maybe not as major as it is for squash as sort of our pinnacle as we know it, but you know, there's still uh, world records to be broken, world championships or Olympics to qualify for. Um, and gold's gold. So, you know, we, we didn't get, I think the scale of it was obviously much smaller, just a number of countries, but we, we didn't get the inkling that we were part of, uh, you know, um, something less great than, than the Olympics, even though probably deep down we know it, it's going to be different if and when we do make it. So one big similarity with the Olympics was the athletes' village. What was it like living there and, and kind of seeing, eating meals and interacting with other players? What were some meals that you guys ate? 
Yeah, it was surreal. Um, we, we kept saying it's like passing ships in the night. You kept seeing the same people. You didn't know their story, but you knew what they were there for or around about what they were there for. It wasn't necessarily the acclimatization going into the athlete village. It was what happened coming out. And I know personally, I kept forgetting to take my wallet places. You didn't need your phone whilst you were there. You know, it, it was... Uh, it was not like the real world would probably be the, the best way to describe it. You know, we lived a life that was sleep, eat, get on a bus to the venue, bus back and do the same again. So um, it, it was bizarre in that sense. Thankfully for us, we were 100 meters from the cafeteria that could probably hold around 5,000 athletes and had about 10 food stations, all different cuisines, and, you know, Toronto 2015 did a great job. They uh, epitomized various cultures in different neighborhoods of Toronto um, and, and did a good job of, uh, of getting a good spread. Sadly, for a lot of us, we ate multiple plates and tried far too many cultures. Um, <laughs> but that, that, was, that was just the coaches. The athletes were on a good regiment, thankfully. So, uh, you know, it, it ranged from Chinese to Italian uh, to Putin, uh, sort of chips and cheese with gravy, all of the uh, plus some healthy options. So I, I know you might not want to comment on this, but um, as every time we watch the Olympics, one of the one of the behind the scenes stories is always about uh, fraternization amongst the athletes. Uh, a lot of great athletes, a lot of great fit people, a lot of nice bodies on both sides of, of it. A lot of different body types. A lot of different body types. And... Uh, the the, uh, the the story is always about the uh, either the condom bowl or the condom vending machine, um, and that it is probably um, partaken far more than the uh, than the outside spectator may imagine. Uh, can can we comment on that? Uh, well, you tell me, can we? Well, we we <laughs> what, what, when I say we, can you comment on that? <laughs> what it definitely the condom bowl that I thought would stay full for the most part was often empty by six p.m. So. Um, either someone was just discarding them or people were taking them. So um, I, my imagination wonders, but uh, it was there. Um, and uh, what what was going on, I'm not entirely sure, but there were 600 athletes, all shapes and sizes, all different nationalities. I can only imagine it was um, you know, a, a successful time for some on and off the playing field. Uh, Follow-up question to that. If you were someone trying to become a Pan-American athlete very quickly, what would be a sport that you would choose to specialize and become an expert in Pan Am level in in four years? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I'm, I'm going to quickly narrow it down to the sports that we were um, very close to, um, which uh, at the exhibition center, I'm not sure that I could say anyone should be an artistic roller skater. That looked pretty difficult. <laughs> um, if you're not six foot six, don't try volleyball or handball. Um, I guess we took in beach volleyball. You can't go far wrong with beach volleyball. Rugby sevens. You know what? Rugby sevens from an American standpoint might be uh, interesting, just given the emerge emergence of the sport in the country. Uh, perhaps somewhat similar to squash, uh, big in a lot of other countries. Um, got some amazing athletes. Uh, maybe rugby sevens. 
and uh, it was well attended, sellout crowds uh, whilst uh, whilst they played. So, uh, so talk to us about about your accommodations. Uh, wh- what are you sleeping in? Uh, we picture, you know, when we watch old Olympic videos and uh, movies and things, we think of like dormitories and like uh, almost like uh, jail cells and like four people in a room. Uh, were you were you staying in those kind of accommodations? Were looking at hotels? What what could you tell us about that? Yeah, it it was fairly basic. Um, so it it was more of a complex of about six buildings that are. The legacy is to turn them into apartment buildings. Um, so we got them bare bones, concrete floors still sort of um, exposed, uh, unfinished essentially, and then nice army barrack beds, two single beds, well if you could call them that, uh, per room um, with just enough room to fit a backgammon table in between. Um, which we uh, we fr- frequented quite often, um, but yeah. So it, it was two bedrooms, two to each room in any one dorm um, was what we uh, we had, and then uh, Team USA took over four entire floors of one particular building. So you know we were the biggest contingent there, slightly bigger than Home Nation Canada. Um, so it. It was no frills, that's for sure, but we, we weren't suffering uh, by any stretch. Um, they sort of had all the basics that we needed. Uh, laundry, uh, the laundry detergent sat next to the condom bowl, um, which I think people <laughs> might have been getting confused. That's why it was <laughs> so, so curious that like the Olympic athletes, the gold medal winners, the swimmers, are they staying in the same accommodations as you guys or are they staying at the Marriott down the street? Yeah, well... I, I think the U.S. athletes were. We heard that one of the um, one of the foreign basketball players was coming in, played or formerly played for an NBA team, and he was staying uh, in a nice downtown hotel suite. But f- from I know from the American standpoint, they were all staying in the village and uh, um, and were mucking it with the rest of us. I, I did hear stories of. Um, of Sochi and Beijing where the USOC actually um, rent out other facilities for those high-profile athletes um, just because they found in the past that they can't train effectively because the other athletes are the ones that want their um, autographs and actually bother them so much so that they can't train properly. So um, thankfully we restrained ourselves and and everyone stayed uh, in the village this time. So obviously you're not a native North American, and uh, someone from across the pond might be familiar with the Commonwealth Games as a, a similar games for the Eastern Hemispheres compared to the West. Uh, have you ever heard of comparisons between the Commonwealth and Pan American Games? I know Natalie Granger is probably one of the few members of Team USA who has medaled at both the Commonwealth Games when she was representing South Africa and then the United States whenever... Uh, in the Pan American Games, whenever she switched citizenships, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, I think what was great about that was Canada obviously um, fits the bill for both. So the host nation had uh, all the experience of a Commonwealth Games uh, and and how how that works. And really, we learned from Glasgow, at least from a squash standpoint. In fact, we used the same glass courts. Um, only made it better thanks to ASB and um, you know created um, a, a phenomenal atmosphere. I, I think it goes for all the Commonwealth athletes 
this is our pinnacle. This is currently our Olympic Games. Um, really, it's, it's our only chance to get on the podium, as, as we like to say. And, um, and, and so, you know, in relative terms, it means as much to us and our athletes in the Pan American region as it does to those that are part of the Commonwealth Games. I've not been to a Commonwealth Games myself. I, I was lucky enough to um, watch uh, the last Commonwealth Games at home back in England and, you know, was shocked at the media coverage that, that a lot of our athletes got. I, I say ours, you can scratch that, English athletes. But that's what happens when you have success. And, and it was really nice to then see someone like Amanda Sobey get the uh, the attention that she so rightly deserves uh, through the um, hat-trick of gold medals and, and then the publicity that's come off the back of it. And, uh, you know, she's becoming a great spokesperson for the sport and for U.S. squash. And, you know, events like this only help elevate herself and, and hopefully the sport. The Commonwealth and the Pan Americans um, are kind of our trial run at an Olympics, so hopefully they see that it's uh, it's a more than worthy event and a great spectacle. We we had sellout crowds all week, um, which says a lot about interest in the sport. Definitely. So so you uh, you got home from Toronto. You got to spend a couple of days, if that, in uh, back in back in the U.S. before you were off to the Netherlands for the Junior Worlds. So um, we just want to briefly touch on that. Just completed today. Um, can you compare the two event, two events at all? Obviously, the scale of the Pan Ams is, is much larger, but as far as being world championship events or regional championship events, could you just talk about the difference between a, a junior games, as it were, and the Pan Am games? Yeah, it, it was nice, and as, as much as it's been a tough six weeks, um, there's elements of um, just being... Uh, so happy to be able to see the end game and where we want our best athletes to be, which was the Pan American Games and, and standing on the podium with a gold medal. And, um, and then coming, uh, back to, um, you know, Eindhoven, which was a great host and, and being able to pass on those messages that with the hard work, with the right culture, uh, the coaches, the players, um, with the right processes in place and the support of U.S. squash, obviously, that they can reach that same goal. Um, and this was just sort of another uh, stepping stone on on the way. Um, Eindhoven and Squash Time Club uh, were great hosts. Um, when I first heard that it was going to be hosted in the Netherlands, my heart dropped thinking, oh no, we're taking 11 teenagers to Amsterdam. Um, not the best place to be introducing uh, our elite junior athletes, but thankfully uh, we were jumping straight on a train out of Schiphol Airport and heading an hour and a half uh, south to, to Eindhoven, which is a quaint town where bike is the uh, most frequent form of transport. And, um, and you know the players were really able to to focus focus on the squash. You know, completely different in terms of the the athletes. You go from really managing egos um, at the adult level, just making sure that they're happy, they're comfortable, they have everything that they need, to really hands-on coaching and, and being able to make a real difference with players that are 16 to 18 years old and actually you know, really wanting more information and ready to take it on board. So I guess that would be the biggest difference, you know, other than some of the obvious ones. So the final today, live streamed, I'm sure you watched it as everyone in our office did today. 
you know, well fought to both Sabrina and, and Kaylee. They played really well. But that Egyptian team is just unbelievable right now. Can you think of any other team in junior history that's been more dominant that and also as prominent in the professional scene? You have Salma Hani Ibrahim, who's world number 21, and she's the highest ranked player on their team, or sorry, the lowest ranked. Um, and then we have Noran Gohar, world number 19, and Habiba Mohammed, who was the world champion last summer. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible, the young talent coming out of Egypt right now. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. And, and so we knew we were up against it, and I was in constant contact with, uh, with our coaches on the ground over there. Um, but you know what? You just don't know what happens when the pressure's on. Um, and uh, we made them a bit edgy today, which is all we could ask of our players, um, was to sow the seed of doubt and let's see how they react. Because they're so used to um, you know, smoking every country that's put in front of them, and it's three love, and the game's over pretty quickly. And as we know, sort of in the professional element, as soon as you start doubting yourself and you're off a percentage point or two, anything can begin to happen. And so more than anything, uh, I was proud of, and, and I'm sure a lot of those people that were watching were, the fact that they both won that second game. Uh, they had opportunities to, you know, to scare them even more, and, uh, you know, they, they pushed them right to the limit. And you could see with Habiba's reaction how important it was. There was fist punts nearly after every point, which um, you know, is somewhat an Egyptian way, but also... It shows the respect to to the team USA of uh, of how close we are. Even though um, you know the rankings speak for themselves, they're on the PSA World Tour, all ranked in the top 30, and uh, and so you know on paper it was very one-sided. Um, right. So I can only imagine that teams of England from past years and decades have have been that strong, but. Even so, sort of the talk on the ground was, this is by far and away the strongest junior team that anyone's ever seen. So, so, so that being said, and you know, this comes up whenever you have a dominant team that plays at a different level, be it like a UConn women's basketball team that wins everything, and people say, geez, how they, how would they compete against the men? And so, in that vein, if you took the Egyptian junior team, this year's Egyptian junior team, threw them in the Pan Am women's competition, where would they finish? Yeah, we actually talked about that in the World Teams at White Oats uh, last December. I guess on paper, Sabrina Sobey, who was our number one, didn't make that team. Uh, I'm sorry, played, uh, was number four on that team in December. And, and so you've obviously got her sister at number one, who on paper is ranked slightly higher, but then, you know, Olivia Blatchford was two and she's 37 in the world. So, it probably doesn't set up too well for us and we finished fifth. So you've got to imagine they'd be knocking on the door of the top four, which that's just scary because there's people in between them and those that played for the uh, the senior national team in December. So, um, you know, don't make me talk about it too much. It's uh, No, no, un <laughs> understand it. I think it kind of under <laughs> underscored the dominance of, uh, of Egypt. And, you know, that, that leading up to the, the real big question is, you know, what can not only the United States, but what could these other countries do to catch up? 
Yeah, I mean, that, we're all, that's the, uh, if only we knew, uh, you know, that there was one way that we could do it. You know, I, I think we're on the right path. I think we, we've sent enough scouts to Egypt to try and find out and we, we've not really had a, a confirmation of step one, two, three on how to be Egypt. But, you know, given what we saw today, uh, given that some of our boys were having successful results against some of the Egyptian boys and, and the English boys, I think we're on the right path. I, I think what we lack is, uh, is a strong squash culture, uh, which... Uh, you know, Egypt obviously has, um, and you know, I would quite like to see us, whilst we're still the underdog, make big strides because we're not really the the team that's talked about. Even though we've now finished second three times in a row over over a six year span, so we're still kind of bubbling under. So hopefully, you know, with some of the players that we've got coming through the junior system, we've obviously got coach Paul Asiante heading up the, the national team program. It, it's, it's a culture, it's working hard, having more players uh, try the professional tour, which obviously the US Squash Elite Athlete Program is helping fund and um, we will add more and more athletes to that. So, you know, we have a wealth of, of world-class coaches in the US, we, we kind of have it all set up to be successful. Now it's, it's really down to us to to try and capitalize on that. And um, you know, a, a little part of me hopes that we can do it quietly and then shock the world. For a minute today, I thought it could have been today when uh, when I saw Sabrina get back to one all and Kaylee fighting. And I thought, you know what, Reham is uh, is a little special weapon. But it wasn't to be. And we'll back to the drawing board and we'll uh, we'll try and get him next time. Last question along those lines. What do you have to say about this graduating group of juniors in Sabrina and Reham, uh, who were both part of this team and also the team in 2013? And then there's Kaylee, who played in the team event for the first time this year, played in the individual event in 2013. Kaylee and Sabrina are going to be teammates at Harvard and Reham at Penn. Yeah, well, it speaks a lot to how... Um, higher level there is going to be at the college uh, level that's for sure i can't speak highly enough about those girls um they were going to leave a huge hole um behind them uh which which is for us to fill definitely not for them they uh they can hold their heads up high you know having spent 10 days with them just in eindhoven in the individual event they're a credit to us squash um they're a credit to themselves they uh they're special talents all in their own different ways, you know, and, and handled in the right way. I'd like to think that all of them might turn professional and at least give it a go because um, these are the players that we need to make sure that are, that are giving it a shot on the world tour. And, um, and by then doing it, it will allow others to think, you know what, if they can do it, we can do it too. And, and that's how the game's going to progress for us in the US, at least at an elite level. Um, but yeah, I can't speak highly enough of them. More than anything, they're just great people, and 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 thankfully, their special talents on the court. And and coaches Scott Devoy and Lin Leong were able to to sort of capture them and make sure that they performed to their highest ability, even though they they came just short today. 
Well, Rich, thanks a lot for your uh, your insights. Uh, I know that uh, the people listening uh, really appreciate it. And uh, now I know you get to spend a couple days back in the States before uh, head out uh, for the Battle of the Border. So uh, another sojourn back to Canada. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll see you back here in the United States full time uh, after that. Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to trying to get one more trophy for the cabinet and bring it home. All right, Rich. Uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Rich Wade. And thanks for listening. This was Outside the Glass. And we will see you next time.